Chapter 10 of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter 10. Cornet Tompkins Snaps at a Shadow. Colonel Stow came out from his father something grave. His father had omitted to wish him joy. He had also behaved with levity. Ay, ay, a man will go when the woman calls, and I should like you less if you did not hear her. Ay, a lad ought to be amusing, and so you'll be for the king, with as fair reason as most indeed. Owns, there is wisdom in this war. It seemed to Colonel Stow that some emotion would have been in better taste. He went with solemn zeal to inspect the work of Alcibiade and Matthew Mark, who had business concerning horses and saddles that was of importance but needed darkness rather than light. The pervading mystery of it completed the alarm of Joan Normandy, suspicious already of the inquiry of Colonel Royston and of Colonel Stowe's visit to the ministrations of Cornet Tompkins. When Colonel Stowe, desiring to contemplate peace, came to sit beside her in the porch, she received him with eyes of war. "'You are required to love your enemies,' Colonel Stowe admonished her, "'and for mere dignity you should smile at them,' which he duly did. She was no better pleased. "'I could like you better,' "'If you were an open enemy,' she cried. "'But it would be less amusing for me,' Colonel Stowe protested mildly. "'At least I should not have to despise you and myself. "'I cannot conceive that we are so much alike. "'Pray despise me alone. "'You will find it less an effort. "'More just also. "'For what, after all, have you to do with me?' "'Her cheeks were suddenly scarlet. "'Ah!' It was like a cry of pain. Ah, I would that I had never seen you. It flatters me that I should thus deeply affect you, but all is well. Tomorrow you can believe that I have never lived. You are going, then, she cried angrily. Your manner scarce invites me to stay, Colonel Stowe remarked. She flung out her hand to him in hot impatience. Oh, is all life a jeer and a cheat with you? Can you not be true to yourself? I do not understand the occasion of this homily, said Colonel Stow with dignity. Joan Normandy gave something of a sneering laugh. Oh, you are very noble, and you sham a friendship with our officer to tell him lies and cheat him again. I thought even malignants kept their honor. But you? Perhaps I may be some judge of a soldier's honor, too, said Colonel Stow coldly. But if you have such a kindness for Jehoiada, child, go tell him I am cheating him. She turned upon him, gray eyes flaming fierce. You know that I cannot, and I ought, and I hate you, she cried. Oh, it is mean in you. And she started up and sped to the house. Colonel Stow made figures in the ground with his heel and contemplated them gravely. To him thus engaged came Colonel Royston. Do you meditate upon your own virtues, Jerry? 
Colonel Stow looked up. On the contrary, said he. As the day waned to sunset, Lucinda felt strange forces working about her. The troopers were busy with horses and arms. Cornet Tompkins, whom she was at some pains to observe, went with exaltation in his gait and mysterious scriptures upon his lips, as thus. Troop Major, of new powder to each man a flaskful. Nay, I will put a hook in their mouths. See to it that the carbine locks be spanned. Verily, I will eat fat. Verily, the Lord is against thee, O Gog. Lucinda was puzzled. It was hard in such spiritual emotions to find the practical hand of Colonel Stowe. And all day long, Cornet Tompkins, bent upon a map of the Shire, muttered more mysteries. Moab shall be my washpot. Over Edom shall I cast out my shoe. Alack, Gog, why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Quoth she, until every man a damsel or two. Ha, ha, said I to my soul. Ha, ha, I behold a wailing in Babylon. Not till the twilight, not till the troopers were mounting, he sought out Lucinda for her punishment. She was in her mother's withdrawing room. He ground his heels into the white Baghdad carpet. Woman, says he, his nose shining with emotion, thou hast kicked against the pricks, and art full of wickedness even to the brim. I, Jehudea, am appointed to cast thee down. Go to, humble thyself, learn not to mock at the children of light. I have thy naughty paramour, his letter, and this night he shall taste the bread of affliction. Lucinda was white in alarm. This was no sign of deliverance, but a new danger. I have no letter, she cried. Cornet Tompkins allowed himself to laugh. Ha, the peril of an Amalekite hurts thee in a tender part. Nay, woman, thou hast no letter, for I have it. I, Jehudea, the coronet of the Lord. Would that I had the vile fellow that brought it. But it suffices. Thy portion of woe is assured. Hearken. And he read with mouthing sarcasm these surpriseful words. I must see you at once before I go. Ride out tonight to Monk's Pool at Saunderton. Slip away from the roundhead villain at sundown, and I will await you. Once with me, have no more fear of the roundheads. I have half a troop of Goring's horse to my back. They will watch over us, and we shall laugh at your sausage-nosed Puritan. Here, Cornet Tompkins stopped to ejaculate, O oh, Gog, Gog, verily, I will leave but the sixth part of thee. And he snorted at Lucinda, and went on, Nay, come with me, my life, and you shall be free of him and his kind for ever. Thy true lover, from the bird in hand, G.B. at Chinor. The last in the warmer style, being Colonel Royston's private effort to add probability to the chilly swain of Colonel Stowe's design. Cornet Tompkins grinned triumphant, and his face shone like a ruddy moon. Lucinda was troubled. The letter was truly mad enough to be Gilbert Bourne's own. She was mightily angry with him that he should confuse the plans of Colonel Stowe and keep her still a prisoner to this maddening Puritan soldier 
was an infamous folly. She flamed at Cornet Tompkins in an unlovely fierceness, like a trapped beast, and he grinned the more. Verily, verily, the iron enters into thee and saws thy soul asunder. This it is to wanton with Amalekites. He flaunted the letter before her, and Lucinda was suddenly white and bit her lip on a cry, for she saw the writing, and it was not by Mr. Bourne. Cornet Tompkins mistook her emotion. O oh, thou naughty member, he cried, shameless art thou in thy affections for this Assyrian. O oh, Ehola and Eholabah. Lucinda snatched her fan from the table, and with it slashed at his eyes. That is the woman's answer, fellow, she cried. Go, get the man's. Cornet Tompkins, half blind with undesired tears, stepped back unsteadily. Wanton, wanton, I go, he cried, and thou shalt see thy lover in chains, yea, in fetters of iron, till I hang him high, as Haman, before thy threshold, for an abomination and a spy. Cornet Thompson loved a rounded sentence. He wiped away his tears and strode with dignity to the door. Lucinda turned to see her mother crying gently and made an impatient ejaculation at such folly. You, you never valued him, Lucinda, said my lady Weston, sobbing the more. But I would I were his mother, she referred to Mr. Bourne. Lucinda was not concerned in such fruitless emotions. While she was hurrying to the window to know what meant the noise of the troopers' parade, two stalked in without a word and sat themselves down on either side of the door. Lucinda had hardly turned upon them before a word of command rang without, and she saw the mounted company wheel and swing away through the dusk. Cornet Tompkins took due strength to deal with that half-troop of Goring's horse. Then Lucinda made to run out, but one of her guards rose up against her. Woman, we are bidden guard you in our presence, and though you be an evil sight to a man of faith, yet will we do it. Lucinda recoiled, all quivering with impatience. The other trooper looked at her and groaned, and shook his head and groaned. It were well to comfort our souls with a savory exercise, said he, and in a gloomy nasal tone began to recite the mystic parts of Jeremiah. You conceive how he soothed the straining nerves of Lucinda. But the dull sound of Cornet Tompkins' horsemen had hardly died away when there was a swift scurry over the turf, and even as the recitation of Jeremiah was cut off and its giver moved swiftly to the window. Colonel Stowe came in, flushed with ingenious agitation. "'Good sir, give me word. Is Cornet Tompkins within?' says he, breathless, to the first trooper, who shook a solemn head. "'Oh, luckless day!' cried Colonel Stowe. "'His troop major, then, or a sergeant. "'Brother, they be gone out to capture an Amalekite, and we only are left. Is it a matter of war?' "'Alack!' said Colonel Stowe, who was swaying a little upon his toes. "'I fear you may think it so.' And as he spoke, he let drive at the man's chin, and, whirling around, met his comrade's rush with another shoulder blow. The first was hardly fallen before Colonel Royston was upon him and had a noose round his arms and a kerchief in his mouth. 
Swift and neat likewise, Colonel Stow dealt with the other. My Lady Weston screamed her fright, and Lucinda chide her angrily to silence. Fitly trussed and gagged, those two hapless troopers were propped up against the doorposts to contemplate each other. Colonel Stow, flushed still, but now purely calm, made his bow to my Lady Weston. Such affairs must always give pain to persons of sensibility, my lady, but I trust we have not been indelicate. Pray, will you ride? Time is short. Then Lucinda whirled her mother away to cloak, and as she passed Colonel Stow, she held out her hand. His lips caressed it, and one of the hapless troopers was heard to groan. With him, Colonel Royston remonstrated. Believe me, you are less hurt than you suppose, and you should be more grateful than you look. I have never seen a neater surprise. It should be an education to you in tactics, which most men only learn by death, an expensive method I would not urge upon you, unless you would die for pure philanthropy. Come away, George, said Colonel Stow gruffly, watching the two helpless men. His friend's manners displeased him at whiles. Out in the gathering dark, Alcibiade and Matthew Mark waited with four good horses beside their own. Colonel Stow swept a swift glance over the sky. It was clear enough to find stars, if need were. He laughed. Night and a ride through the enemy's quarters. What more should a man want? I want less, Colonel Royston admitted. A woman or so less. Wherewith the woman came, cloaked heavily, each with a large and weighty casket. Colonel Stowe took Lucinda. My Lady Weston was crying still, which Colonel Royson observing, Nay, my lady, tis hard enough to quit home, says he gently enough. Anything of the mother would always mellow him. But you should count on coming again when these rascals are beaten. I do not care where I go, said she feebly. Is it Mr. Bourne? Oh, Mr. Bourne is more safe than yourself. The matter of the letter was a ruse of ours to get the roundheads away. She stared at him, endeavoring to grasp this. She was not quick of wit. Then she gave it up with a sigh. Turning to her horse, she saw Lucinda in Colonel Stowe's arms as he swung her to the saddle. I wish it were Mr. Bourne, she murmured to herself, and was more lachrymose. Colonel Royston was not sure that he differed. End of chapter 10 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas